Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me, your host, James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we'll be sharing career stories, advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know. And we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. Today's 40-minute mentor is James Routledge, the founder of Sanctus. Sanctus is a mental wellness startup that is on a mission to inspire people to work on their mental health, just like we do our physical health. They've got a bold vision to put the world's first mental health gym on the high street, And I, for one, hope that they can achieve this. James's passion to help others improve their mental health came from his own experience, having suffered mental health issues following the failure of his first business, Match Chat. This is something that we discuss in detail in today's show. The idea for Sanctus actually came about when he shared this struggle in a heartfelt and honest blog, where he openly talked about the journey that he and his co-founder George had been through. This blog received hundreds of responses, and from this initial post, the idea for Sanctus was born. Since then, Sanctus has grown to a large team working with over 40 businesses from Aviva, Secret Escapes, TransferWise and Red Bull across the UK, helping these great companies reframe the conversation around mental health. Their amazing work's been featured in publications from The Times, The Metro and now The 40 Minute Mentor. I have close friends and family that have really struggled with mental health over the years. So when I heard about the work that Sanctus was doing and saw the refreshing honesty and humour with which James talks about it, I was really keen to get him on the podcast to have a chat. This episode was recorded shortly after Mental Health Week here in the UK. So we go into some really important topics in this interview around mental health, the challenges we all face and what you can think about to look after yours. James's experience of launching and growing a VC funded startup and then dealing with and overcoming its failure to get to where he is today is truly inspiring. And I know you're going to get a lot from what he has to share in this interview. So with all of that said, please enjoy my conversation with James Routledge. Hi, James. Welcome to JBM's office and to the 40 Minute Mentor. To kick things off, I was wondering if you could give us an overview of your CV in 30 seconds. Oh, wow. CV started off at KFC actually that's my first one and I actually was did a LinkedIn video about that yeah KFC that was my first job actually it wasn't but KFC's on my CV I'm proud of it university in Sheffield did two years there history and politics ended up dropping out to start my first business which was called Match Chat did that for three and a half years unsuccessfully ended up shutting that business down took a year out to work for an angel investor running a an angel syndicate where we were investing into startups and since uh, for the last three years I've been the founder of Sanctus where we are on a mission to inspire people to work on their mental health like their physical health brilliant and that was extremely difficult I can't believe <laughs> well, it came out of KFC was, was really straight good. away <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite restaurants yeah. so uh well great start I think that was near enough 30 seconds James so many things there that we're going to unpack over the course of this conversation But one thing that's clear is you are clearly a very successful young entrepreneur. Have you always been entrepreneurial? Did that start as a youngster? Did you know what you wanted to do when you were a kid? Absolutely not. No. I don't really think I knew what an entrepreneur was at at sort of school, to be honest. School, I kind of just, I wouldn't say, I, I, I kind of cruised through it. I think I was quite academic, did very well in my GCSEs, A levels. And then as soon as I got to about 17, 18, I started to get a little bit nervous about the big question, what will I do with my life? Even though I was 17, which in hindsight is ridiculous. It seems that, crazy. It? <laughs> that I was, you know, I was putting so much pressure on myself at that point to, to kind of figure that out. But no, I had no idea really. The, the closest thing I remember thinking that I'd like to be a journalist, I wanted an Audi TT, which is extremely random. I just knew I wanted to do something good is sort of, sort of vague as that sounds, but I definitely wanted to do something. I want to say good. I think not normal. Yeah. You know, I wanted to do something a bit different, but no, being an entrepreneur, never. I remember I took a, I took a year out before university, traveled um, for a little bit, did some volunteering in Vietnam, came back and, you know, continued my stint at KFC. 
I'm intrigued by that. So you say that proudly, which I think is a great thing. What was that like working at KFC? And did that has that had an effect in it, terms of it, your, your career? It honestly has, yeah. I, I, it's funny that it comes up, but I, I'll, I'll give a quick aside. The reason I talk about it is because I, I, I actually did a video on, on LinkedIn about it the other day. But when I started my first business, I had KFC on my LinkedIn profile. And another founder who I was sharing an office with laughed at me and said, mate, you've got to take that off. Like investors will laugh at you. And I took it off because I was, you know, I was 22. I thought, God, he's right. No one's ever going to want to buy from someone who's worked at KFC. So I took it off and I, and I think we'll go into this more, I'm sure later, but I think that was the start of me believing that, you know, you have to be something else to be successful. Um, and what like learned in the last few years is I think the more you can be who you are, then the more successful you will be whether that's monetary or just kind of from the inside, essentially. So yeah, it was it was an incredibly grounding experience, I suppose. I mean, KFC is one of the only employers that employs people who've got a criminal record. So I was working with all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, very diverse. And it was also like the, the highest grossing KFC, the third highest grossing KFC in the country. So we were making like £7,000 in an hour. Really? Um, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Amazing. Like, it was it was so high pressure and intense. I actually loved it. Yeah. I also absolutely hated it at 17 because I just wanted to get out of Stoke and leave. So yeah, I do think it's had some sort of effect. I don't actually know what yet, but it no, yeah, good it has, stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So your first, I guess, proper business that you set up, Match Chat, started very successfully, but ultimately failed, yeah. for want of a better word. For those who don't know your story, what led you to launch Match Chat? Yeah. Well, I think it ties into the question you just asked, just of, of was I entrepreneurial? And the answer was no. And really my entrepreneurial spark only developed through meeting George, um, who I started Match Chat with, and who's my current co-founder of Sanctus. And George, if you asked George that question, he would have said yes. So George's dad runs his own business. And from an early age, I think George has always been what you would class as entrepreneurial. When I first met him at university, he was starting a watch business and selling watches and fixing watches in the student's union so i was straight away impressed by this guy i was like oh here we go like this guy's got something about him and i like i said to you before i was i was searching for this thing that's going to make me different basically what am i going to do that's going to be cool and unique and special and i was like he's got a bit of this so i was interested straight away kind of just interested in in him and just thought he was a cool guy so we became friends not around that initially we became mates around going on nights out and coming back at four in the morning and watching Alan Partridge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we became mates. And then as time went by, we, me and George kind of got fascinated and, and fixated th- about startups in general. I kind of fell into the rabbit hole. This is like when I got into Twitter and I'd started following lots of different CEOs and founders from, from Silicon Valley mo- mostly. And I just kind of got obsessed with like the startup ecosystem. And, and I kind of just saw it as my way, my way out or way in, I suppose. I just thought that place over there looks like the place I want to be. That, that kind of looks like the place I belong. Yeah. And then me and George, like I said, to be honest, we were searching for an idea. It, it wasn't, we didn't have any problems. So everyone says start a business, solve a problem. We didn't have any. The biggest problem we had at university was what night out were we going to go on? So that's why our first idea we had together was called Night Finder, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nightclub tickets for, for students, which isn't a problem at all. And Great a million, name. <laughs> a million people have tried to solve it and it doesn't exist. And then, you know, the second thing which we kind of stumbled upon was, was Match Chat, which was me and George went to watch a football match together and loads of people calling in onto the radio about the game and then us being like, oh, why aren't people, why is there not a sort, a sort of dedicated space for people to talk about live sport online so we created match chat we we managed to do this little kind of mock-up version of it for varsity when it was university of sheffield versus sheffield hallam and lots of people used it um, and it was all very exciting and then suddenly we were down the rabbit hole you know we took the red pill and and we were in the startup world at that point brilliant and yeah there's three and a half years of stories yeah <laughs> what do you feel ultimately led to it not being the success that you wanted it to and I guess ending up the way it did it wasn't right from the start like from the the inception because the the reasons for starting it weren't pure it was kind of shallow to be honest I started it because I wanted to feel like I was doing something different I wanted to feel special I wanted to feel important and really 
starting that business was selfish in the sense that actually I just, I wanted to, I did it for my ego. Like I wanted to be known as like, I'm James, the guy who started this thing and I dropped out of university and I'm different and I'm cool and I'm special and I've got something about me. So it wasn't, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was ego led. It's not like I was kind of, oh, I feel deeply passionate about people connecting around sport and people finding community and, you know, talking about live sport online. There was none of that. It was just like, this is a business. Let's start it up. Let's raise some money. Let's live the high life. Let's sell it. Let's become angel investors by 30 and, you know, live, work from our laptops on a beach in Bali. Like I was just tr chasing this dream, basically. Do you think that's a partly an age and maturity thing? Because yes. you were really, you were very young to be setting up a business. I had no idea who I was. So, I mean, I, I talk now and I'm being quite harsh on myself. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was 21. I, at the same time, I was, I'd only bloody learned how to put a wash on two years previously. <laughs> and, yeah, and I was going on, still going on a load of nights out. Yeah, learning loads, all sorts of stuff that I still had no idea about myself. Didn't really know what I valued or what I, what I really wanted with my life or, yeah, I just knew nothing about myself. I'd, my self-awareness is like one out of a hundred at that point. So yeah, real naivety and Im immaturity. However, to be totally honest though, so we started the business in like second year of university and we got onto an accelerator program, which is kind of, for anyone that doesn't know, it's essentially a, usually like an incubation of a lot, maybe like 10 different companies together. So we got given 15,000 pounds and we were on this three month program with nine other businesses where we were given mentoring, support, finance, and access to kind of meet other investors with this kind of carrot of some more funding at the end of it. And there's some really high quality people on that program. And within the first week, all the first talks are kind of like, well, you've got to be solving a problem. What's your mission for the world? What's your vision? And I'm honestly sitting there and knowing deep down inside, I'm like, we haven't got any of that. Like I, I knew it from, from honestly month one on that program when we were surrounded by all these good people, deep, deep, deep down inside. I can only say this in hindsight, but I knew that what we were doing was wrong. That's really interesting. It's easy at that age to just go all in on something, isn't it? And then it's only in hindsight that you realize actually. But as you said, you've learned clearly a lot from the experience and that's clearly shaped where you've got to today. You've also written and spoken publicly about the impact that early business had mm -hmm. Uh, I guess the failure of that has had on your mental health. Yeah. Um, so for those listening, can you share your own mental health journey and what you did to overcome the issues you faced and how this led to setting up Sanctus? Yeah, I suppose it's, I'll, I'll start just, just where I've left off just to keep it kind of chronological, I suppose. But I suppose from that point onwards, really, I began to be driven by fear. So the fear of failure, the fear of uh, letting people down, the fear of, been seen for, you know, what I really was, which was a 21 year old guy who hadn't got a clue what he was doing. Just the fear of not being good enough, the fear of having to go back to uni and kind of hold my hands up and be like, fucking hell, you know, everyone, this lads at this point, all my mates, like lads, this didn't work out or, you know, sorry, dad, but you've just paid for my rent for a year in a house that I didn't live in, but that was a mistake. So all these different things, I was just driven by fear really. And also I think I bought into what is a common narrative of, keep going, just persevere. Like how many stories have we heard about entrepreneurs or business people or successful people that just kept going and 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 kept going for like 20 years and then suddenly it, it pops out at the end. So I was chasing this dream that I thought that could pop out one day. But yeah, really from that day on, there was a kind of this, and not to sound like too intense, but there was this darkness inside me really of like this truth this kernel of truth of like me knowing like this is wrong. This is really wrong. And, and actually fear is quite a good motivator. And I think a lot of businesses and a lot of people are run on fear. And it kept me going for a long time. Like if you'd have known me back then, I, I worked as hard as anyone. I was a, you know, inverted quote, whatever quotation marks, hustler. Like I was known for being the guy that would like send emails early in the morning. I would do anything to get in front of anyone. Once I was in front of someone, I was a good presenter. I was, you know, I was charismatic. So that fear drove me for a long time, really. But I suppose, again, in hindsight, I can say this, but to be honest, for the three years running that business, for a lot of the time, I was, I was quite numb, really. I numbed myself to 
those feelings that I was feeling, like the, the anxiety, the isolation, the loneliness, the shame of knowing like, actually, I'm doing something wrong here. I kind of numbed myself to it. And again, I can only say this in hindsight, but really I was, I was probably kind of like mildly depressed for like three years, really. Again, very high functioning. And I didn't even know what the word depression meant then. And I would never, I wouldn't claim right now that I was kind of like, you know, severely depressed, but I do think I was in like a mild level of kind of just numbness, basically. And I felt nothing. And, you know, I was using the weekends to just go out and have a load of fun. I was finding my purpose Friday and Saturday nights, to be honest. That's where I was having a good time, going on great holidays to Ibiza and everything that's involved with that. So really the, the kind of mental health journey, of, it of course, start it starts there, but I would never have called it mental health. You know, that in those years, starting that business from 21 to 24, 25, I would never have said, oh, I'm going to do go and do this for my mental health or I'm working on my mental health or I'm struggling with my mental health. One, because... I would never have admitted that I was struggling because that just wasn't hardwired into me. And two, I genuinely didn't know what the word mental health meant at that point. It wasn't in my vocabulary at all. And really the first time I actually clocked on to like, oh, this is right. This is something like feelings or mental health is just once we shut down the business, which was in about June, 2015, I was about 24 at this point. And all my mates have started to leave uni and all that shut down the business, moved out of London, sitting at, in my parents' home back in Stoke. And I had nothing to do, right? So like, I still had some bits and bobs, some emails to send, but I was getting bolt upright at seven in the morning, 100 miles an hour, sending like one email, thinking I was really like trying to feel important and like, and then just being like, I've got nothing to do. So it would be 11 a.m. And my body was at 100 miles an hour, but I had nothing to do. And that's when I started to feel just this, this rush and this surge of anxiety, like my heart absolutely pounding. I felt like I was running a marathon, but I was just sitting down on the sofa. That's where I first felt it, like my heart pounding. And I remember saying to my mum, I was like, mum, can you just check my heart? Mum's a nurse. I was like, mum, can you check my heart rate? So that's and she was like, it's completely normal, but it felt like it was pacing. And I felt these knots in, the, in my stomach. And that was the first time I, I that's the first time I felt something in my body, really, probably for three and a half years, probably for all my life, really, if I'm totally honest. And at that point, I wouldn't say I knew that I was mental health, but I knew something was off. Ran away, ran off to Bali, tried to numb myself some more. Um, I was just a shell when I was there. And to be honest, actually, I remember being on the plane and as the plane was taking off, my breathing's going really shallow. And again, being like, what's wrong here? And I was constantly just externalizing it. Like, oh, it's because I'm a bit tired or it's because I've drank too much or it's because uh, I've not worked out or it's because I've not been to the gym. Just always searching for something else to blame, essentially. Or it's because, oh, my investors have been dickheads, you know, always looking for something else to blame. And then when I came back, I got this job that I mentioned in the Angel Syndicate. And that's when really the feelings just weren't, they just weren't going away. They were just staying with me sweaty palms, stomach being off, just kind of near constant anxiety, really. And I was doing a great job of hiding it. My Instagram was was flying. You know, I was photos of me in front of waterfalls in Bali, tensing. Oh, like great. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, great, great scenery, but really on the inside, going on lots of nights out and having great experiences as well, having great times, but really on the inside, really really hurting to be honest and it did get to the point probably about after six months of saying nothing of the anxiety being fairly debilitating I would say um, I started to get quite scared of just like crossing the road and stuff like I thought god like am I gonna get I kept thinking I was gonna get hit by a bus or something I would be in meetings and I would just feel that anxious that I would have to excuse myself go stand in the toilet and just like get on the headspace app and breathe for five minutes or something started to have semi-regular panic attacks which were extremely intense they were probably the thing that kind of tipped me over the edge to be like no matter how stubborn or british or stoic i i was they were so intense that i was like james there's something wrong here and around this point i'd started to google online i kind of diagnosed myself i was like you know this is anxiety right <laughs> this is mental health 
and I can come on to my sort of my experience of, of mental health in general as just a kind of concept and a brand at that point. But yeah, I, I kind of I'd self-diagnosed myself at this point. You know, I was li- I was having panic attacks. Like it was literally like I thought I was on a heart attack. So something's going on. And I, again, I was doing a good job of not saying anything. Like at this point, you wouldn't have, I don't think you would have known. If you were really close to me, you might have known something was off. But to most people, you wouldn't have known. And yeah, and I slowly, over the course of another six months, just slowly began to open up, really, which was a, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a long process or whatever, but I just slowly began to open up initially to myself, which I think is very important. People maybe don't mention enough, but started to give myself permission to feel the way I was feeling. A lot of the time, I was being hard on myself for even feeling the way I was feeling. So I was like, you shouldn't feel like that. You know, you shouldn't feel weak or whatever. Like I was being critical to myself. So I was making myself feel worse, feeling the way I was feeling. Um, and then slowly, the first thing I start, I actually did for my mental health was journal. Um, even though I had no idea what journaling was, I just picked up a notebook under my bed, started writing in that and kind of gave myself permission to feel the way I was feeling, just accepted how I was feeling, started to open up to a couple of close mates, my housemate initially, you know, a couple of other people. And it kind of culminated, obviously been been more since, but it kind of culminated in me writing the public blog post about it which was kind of yeah that was kind of me kind of coming out I would say you know it's like being in the sort of the 60s and being gay and just being like this is me this is who I am and and that didn't really heal anything as such but it certainly took a massive weight off my shoulders because I just felt I just felt more me I was just like look this is what's been going on it's a brave step to take yeah it was I, I I must it was brave looking back but I didn't think it like that then it, it kind of really felt like something I had to do I just wanted to just be honest because I'd, I'd spent I don't know five years pretending pitching I'd been spent five years on x factor you know always in judges bloody houses <laughs> you know looking for investment always always playing the game constantly and i think that post was just like fuck it like this is me and i'm i've been having panic attacks and i've been bloody struggling and so haven't we all so that was yeah that was a massive moment for me no that's really inspiring and it, and, it, and it really resonates with me actually i think um a lot of people that would know me would say i'm very outgoing gregarious confident you know very happy and, and live a very charmed and fulfilled life in many ways but i think Perhaps this, this affects a lot of people. Some of my close family and friends have suffered with mental health. And I was, I never thought I would. Uh, I just, just didn't think so. I just didn't think that would be me. And I remember at certain points in my life where, particularly around, the, so my daughter's three and a half now, but when in the, the build up to her arriving, I was so stressed. I mean, we were running JBM, JBM was growing quickly, felt a lot of pressure in that respect. And a, a, particularly a need to, to kind of make everyone make sure everyone saw that all was good you know have a very supportive wife do my very best to kind of be a good dad uh, when sienna came along and out of nowhere i just started to have this anxiety i was waking up in the middle of the night i was on the train i suddenly all of it became very claustrophobic and it was only really when kind of my wife lucinda almost confronted me with it and just sort of said are you okay like we need to talk about this and, and it was only when i started to actually articulate how i was feeling the breathlessness the I don't know, the, the, just kind of the constant worrying. Uh, but uh, almost the, the worst thing was trying to hide that from everyone around yeah. you. And then as soon as you started to talk about it and actually talk to people and share it a bit more, the, the weight just slowly starts to drop. So it's, for me, it's, it's, it's very powerful to hear it. And, and uh, I think the more that people do talk about it and share it, the, uh, you know, the better. 100%. I just, I, I kind of completely felt more, I didn't feel alone. Basically, I think if I could sum it up in a nice, neat sentence with a bow on it, um, I didn't feel alone because I felt when I when I shared that, I, you know, I got thousands of responses, and no one ever used to read my blog posts. <laughs> and this one got fifteen thousand views in a couple of days. Just goes, there's so many people out there that, exactly. that need to hear this and want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, and it just really resonated. And I think the thing that the, the kind of real thing that I got with this, sen- you know, was the sense of connection to to kind of everyone really it wasn't like there was just a small number of people being like oh yes i had a panic attack exactly like you had one it was my mates you know my mates who you know stereotypically would only really talked about football beer and girls and suddenly it was kind of like oh actually you know when i was at uni i felt i didn't feel good 
and yeah and, and just everyone so i was just like oh right yeah so this is just what it's like to be a human is it yeah, totally. um so i just felt instantly kind of leveled in a way and that didn't reconcile the underlying no. <laughs> issues they were still there and i had to do, i had to do things to kind of change in a way but i just felt yeah i felt completely different just by being able to be to be open so i guess that was the start of sort of admitting it and starting yes. to, to kind of confront it and deal with uh, with your mental health how do you manage your mental health now well i suppose for me the unique the unique thing for me was that i ended up starting a business off the back of it which we, to, we need to explore but I, I can't i can't answer that question without talking about it because when i was struggling with my mental health and and struggling you know is yes i was struggling but it's all it's almost an unfair word right if, if you're just saying let's say i was just to say i was curious about it right i wanted to do something about it right if we just forget the word struggling and just say you know i was looking to buy a car and i wanted to buy a car right i had no idea where to go like completely clueless and soon as i kind of typed mental health into google on my phone in like incognito thinking i don't know thinking there was something bad about typing that in or whatever just nothing that came up online in particular resonated at all. You know, you've got NHS websites, which straight away is like, okay, I've got a problem then. Because when you go to the doctors, when you go to the hospital, something's broken and you get it fixed, right? So straight away, I was like, okay, so this is telling me that there's something in me that's broken. I've got, I've got a problem. I'm ill. Charity websites, similar. Very down, dreary the kind of imagery that comes up is people crying on the stairs. The word stigma is like written in blood or something. It really is like the images that come up on Tumblr are just like, whoa. And fair enough, that's people's expression of mental health and that, that works for some people, but it really didn't work for me at all. If anything, it made me want to be part of it less. So it made me not want to do anything for my mental health because I was like, if that's mental health, I don't want to be part of that. So, you know, I straight away was really confused as, as to where to go. So really, <laughs> I almost instantly thought, well, I'm going to have to just like create what I need. Basically, I'm going to have to start the thing that I want. And really what I wanted was a place, a kind of a place that made me feel like human and like I belong. Um, and I wanted to work. I don't even know if it was with someone or with something that again, rather than make me feel broken, said to me like like you already have the answers because i i don't know where from but i just had this deep belief i'm like i know that i'm not broken here i know that i'm just like in a bit of a crossroads or whatever for some reason i just knew that i could work it out i don't know where that comes from but i just i just knew i could work it out. i just knew i needed help but not help to be fixed just help for me to kind of work it out so i suppose the feeling i wanted was a feeling of empowerment like i wanted to feel empowered and just everything I looked at just didn't make me feel like that. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to find this for myself. And I know a load of other people are also going to need this as well. So from the first hand, I suppose I wanted to find like a brand that I was like, okay, you know, I want to buy from Amazon or I want to like, you know, I want to drive a BMW or whatever it might be. So I needed a brand to tie myself to. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to create that. And then I need a space where I can go to to just do this work where it doesn't feel like I'm a freak. I don't feel crazy. It's like I'm proud to go there, basically. So I just thought I'm going to have to create that for myself, basically. And I, and I just started to. I created the brand Sanctus. I thought about this vision, this mission, this purpose. You know, how can we empower people to be who they are? How can we normalize mental health, change its perception? How do we create a brand that's like, that's like Nike that'll make me because it doesn't solve anything. If, if, you, if you have to go and talk to a therapist and do the work on your mental health, but then you, you can't tell your mum and dad because you're so ashamed, mm -hmm. it makes no difference. You could be working with the best therapist in the world. So I knew I kind of just felt this need to do both. And then, yeah, and then I spoke to a load of like therapists, coaches, and that just felt wrong. You know, a lot of therapists I felt was very clinical, very kind of medicinal just made me feel like a patient again sort of keeping this feeling of like okay i'm broken i need fixing that doesn't feel good a lot of coaches i was like i don't even know what a coach is and 
why you get to call yourself a coach and why you're charging 200 pounds an hour and the therapist who's had seven years trainings is only charging themselves 60. So it was all just very strange. And then I finally met a coach who'd had a background in therapy that I connected with. And actually me and him created the first Sanctus product, which I used, which was group sessions basically. And which was a space that I felt able to go to and so did other people. And it was a safe space for us to, to be ourselves, you know, to talk about what was going on. And that was the first thing I ever did for my mental health, which was pretty intense. And, and not went, everyone just sets up a business to, no, to deal with it. But, but it was, I, it was, yeah, I, I think that was, that felt like the only option to me, genuinely, because I, there, I mean, there are things out there, but I couldn't find them. They're not accessible. So um, I didn't know what a therapist was or which type of therapy I would go for. So I did, I kind of, I created my own dog food and I ate it basically. So for those listeners that don't know about Sanctus, can you give a guess a brief overview of what the business is now and how yeah. the story there? Yeah, I mean, I just touched on it then, you know, initially from a brand and a mission perspective, it's like how do we inspire people to work on their mental health, like their physical health? And how do we inspire people to be who they are really? So I think for me, one of the things that massively impacted my mental health was being disconnected from myself, thinking I need to be a certain way and not being myself. And I didn't want to live like that, basically. And that's what created this numbness that I talked about because I was just disconnected. I just created this facade, this like ego facade that was had a great social media presence. But really, there was a James on the inside that wasn't that wasn't let out, essentially. So there's a massive disconnect. So I want, you know, wanted to create a brand that kind of said, you know, being who you are is pretty cool. And that's the work basically. And, you know, this big vision to one day put the world's first mental health gym on the high street. It's this place you can go to work on your mental health. It's your safe space. It's your sanctuary. Um, so we started doing these groups and the groups were, were kind of like going to a fitness class for my mental health. That's how we position them. And a lot of, a lot of founders of businesses actually were our first customers, our first users there. And then since then, what started to happen is Sanctus evolved into essentially the same safe space, but a safe space in the workplace. So we, we've got a network or a team of coaches who are trained to work in mental health at the highest standard, basically. And we place them in the workplace and then individuals can access a 45 minute session that's completely impartial, completely confidential to work on their mental health. And again, we position it in a way that it's, it's not just for people that are struggling. It's for anyone who may be just curious in changing anything in their life. You know, it could be I'm having a kid and I'm stressed out or it could be I don't like my job. I don't like my manager. Um, I feel weird. Whatever yeah. that feeling is. Or people can walk in and say, I'm depressed. Yeah. You know, I really like that. Um, the way you've brought together the, the mental and physical health. They're intrinsic, I think. There's, there's, and and the mission that you've created, I think, clearly res is resonating with a lot of people. What do you sort of say to those listening that may be struggling with their mental health at the moment? And what do you think are the things that they can do to sort of improve upon that? All things that they could read or, or hopefully attend some Sanctus events. Yeah. I can only speak from my own experience, I suppose. You know, I wouldn't want to. I don't want to preach. And I think, I think again, that's one of the problems with mental health is it's. There are a lot of people telling you exactly what you should do. Um, and that's just another thing that you should be doing, which is just, I don't know if this that's puts it. people off to it sometimes, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's just another, you know, you, I could tell you what you should do, but it's just, I, I don't want to do it or I don't feel able to or whatever. So I think the best, you know, the best thing that I've, I've learned in the last few years is to just speak from experience really and, and, and say, I suppose what worked for me, like I've already said, I think opening up. Um, about it initially was the most powerful thing I did and that definitely doesn't mean you have to write a public blog post um, actually some of the most some of actually the biggest steps along the way for me were like I said when I when I opened up to myself you know when I wrote a journal entry or I remember there was a girl I worked with who texted me one day saying I can't come into work today because I've had an anxiety attack and I was like what I was like oh I'm having them all the time <laughs> um, and that was such a powerful interaction so, you know, I, I kind of opened up to her at work, essentially, my housemate, eventually. So I just think taking steps to speak to people. And they were people, what's interesting is they weren't the people I was closest to. So that the girl I worked with, I'd only known for a few months. My housemate was, I was close to, but wasn't my, he's, not my be, he's not my best mate. He's not, he's not my mum or my dad. Or So I think something I've really learned that I do think is a really powerful uh, even though I don't like giving advice, I do think this is really powerful and, and very true, 
is being able to, or finding someone to speak to who you feel safe with, right? Who you feel safe talking to. Some people feel safe talking to their partner. Some people don't. Some people feel might feel safer calling up the Samaritans. Great, go for it. I get people who message me on LinkedIn because they feel safe talking to me. That's fine. At a certain point, I'm not the right person to them to talk to most of the time. So I, you know, so I kind of help signpost or give them a point them in the right direction. But I think speaking to someone you feel safe with or where you feel safe is is definitely a very powerful next step. It's a, it certainly was for me. And just, I think, again, this is such a really tough one to, to say, but I actually think people know what they need to do, but there's just so much noise that it's hard to figure it out. And actually, this is a different sort of part of the story, but before I decided to shut down that first business, I had like, we took the team away for a few days and we went to Brighton and just like didn't take our laptops and just chilled out. And that was the first break I'd had in three years and shock after that decided to shut down the business because I finally disconnected clarity of thought. Yeah. was just able to ask myself some bigger questions. You know, a holiday isn't going to Ibiza for a week with 14 lads in a villa. Like that's just not a holiday. (laughs) It's harder work. It sounds fun. Yeah, exactly. It was great fun, but it's not a holiday. So I think really disconnecting Mm. whether that's in London or outside of London or, or wherever you're based can be helpful as well. And yeah, like I said, these are just things that have worked for me and, um, and they're all out there. And again, the more you, people you start to talk to, people say, well, I did this. And then you could try that. Yeah. It interests you. you. You touched upon social media, which it's inescapable. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of people, I guess, that, that used to used to be called Keeping Up With The Joneses is now Keeping Up With The Kardashians yeah. or whoever yeah. the your influence of choice is. Yeah. From your perspective, you've used social media. And we, we talked off air about how I admire the fact that you put yourself out there and you are your true self on camera all the time. But I know for a lot of people, that's quite a scary yeah. concept. And then for me, it is actually. To what extent do you see social media as being a cause for some of these mental health challenges that we're seeing? Yeah, interested in your perspective on that. I don't see social media as a cause at all because, well, let me start. Like social media is just the, the tool, right? You know, so it's very easy to blame social media, but we're the ones who are using it. So it would be so easy for me to blame my mental health struggles on the fact that there was loads of other people out there sharing how well they were doing. It's I chose to follow them. And it was me that felt like that in response to what they were putting out there. So, you know, all, all our phone has done is, is just given us like a supercomputer in our pocket that we've just got insane access to. And really, it's just a portal for our anxieties and our insecurities to live. So I just I just do not believe that social media is at fault. You know, don't get me wrong. I think we can ask regulatory questions of like Facebook around how they're doing their algorithm to encourage people to stay online and all that sort of stuff. But in general, I believe we have to take ownership of how we're using this medium that we've been given. Actually, this medium is a gift. It has changed the world. 10 times over in the last 20 years. And yes, it comes with a lot of problems, but that's because we come with a lot of problems. I always think for me, like if I was addicted to anything, it's work, right? And now my phone and social media has just made it very easy for me to be addicted to work. It's not my phone's fault. It's not, it's not sitting in my pocket like, James, James, like pick me up. I'm the one saying that. I'm the one checking my emails at 11.30 at night. I'm the one seeing how many followers Sanctus has got five minutes later, you know, that's me doing that. And actually I have to, whatever, go to therapy or do whatever I need to do to figure that out in myself and then develop a more healthy relationship with my phone. It's not the phone's fault. It's I have to take responsibility for that. So yes, I think there are some wider regulatory and cultural things that we could do to kind of put labels on social media, essentially like hazard signs. And especially for younger kids who don't know this stuff but in general I think we have to learn how to use it better and I think it's starting you're seeing a bit of an authenticity movement across social media but that's not across social media that's culturally and social media is just where we're seeing it and you know for me personally with my use of social media I used to use social media to create a front right to distance myself with how I was actually feeling 
now I use it very differently. And actually, I bloody love it. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I feel like I'm able to be really honest. I feel like I'm really connected to people. I feel like I can really be myself. So yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. So it's interesting how your relationship has changed. Um, and, and that's the important word. It's my it's my relationship because you could say the same thing about alcohol. You know, I could say, well, I used to whatever. Loads of people say, well, I was addicted and I used to drink loads and whatever. Like yeah, it's just totally. a, it's just a substance. You talk about um, being a workaholic, and I'm a self-confessed workaholic. I love work, but I also have struggled historically with finding that right balance. So, how do you find that balance in your job and life? Because I guess all of these things do impact on on mental health. So interested in your yeah. thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I, and I concur. I think I don't know if it's you know whether it's to do with if you've started your own business or anything like that. But for whatever reason, and I've got some theories about myself, but that's my vice, right? For whatever reason, work is work is certainly my vice. And actually, I don't think I have had a good balance for a long time. I think I'm starting to get a much better one now. About six months ago, or, or throughout the course of last year, actually, the business was growing, and um, I was a really bad example for Sanctus as a as a founder of it. I was stressed, I was anxious, I wasn't sleeping very well, I wasn't I wasn't really I wasn't living the brand, you know. I was I was my mental health wasn't great last year actually. Um, I didn't have much. I wasn't doing much else in my life. I just had I had work, had my girlfriend, not really not really anything else. I let my kind of physical health slip I wasn't really going to the gym I wasn't really doing anything and even when I was doing those things I wasn't enjoying them because I was just thinking about work all the time so yeah last year I, I got myself in a bit of a pickle to be honest um with work and I, I actually got to the point where I, I got I don't know how bad this is um but I'll just share it anyway I got to the point one night where I was for, for a few months on end life just felt tough right you know getting out of bed was was hard Every day felt like a chore. It felt like the grind. And one night in bed, I just thought to myself, if I feel the same way again tomorrow morning, I honestly don't want to wake up, right? Which was, was quite a flippant throwaway comment. Like I didn't, I didn't specifically mean that. I didn't, I didn't mean, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pop 70 sleeping pills so I don't wake up or anything like that. But as I said it, I was like, whoa, like that's quite, a, that's quite an intense thing to say to yourself. And something really popped for me. Um, and at the same time, I'd been away with George, just me and George, my co-founder again, just to remind everyone. And we got back and he was like, mate, to be honest, like, all you could talk about was work. And I was like, fuck, is that, I be, am I becoming that guy again? Is that me? And I ended up, I'd, ne I'd never been to therapy before um, before that. And I ended up kind of signing up to go go to therapy. I used the, uh, the Sanctus directory again, product we created. And I found a therapist and I started going to therapy once a week for six months. And in my first session, basically kind of got to the end of it, a kind of classic therapist sentence. He said, I'm wondering who you would be without your business. And I literally looked at him and went, and went that's exactly why I'm here. Because Interesting. if I didn't have my business, who would I be? I'd be the boyfriend to Sarah. And honestly, at that point, I don't think I would have been much else. And that's the same pattern I got myself into in the first business. And what's massively changed for me recently is I've started to explore other sides of myself that aren't just work. I've started to read more. Like I love, I've got a book there. I love reading fiction. I'm like, I'm a passionate, avid reader. I've started to go back into the gym more. I've started walking, something else I'm passionate about. I'm like a 60 year old man. <laughs> no, um, I'm all for walking and something. Uh, I love it. You know, making sure I spend more time with my friends. Therapy has been a big part of all this. And actually, since I've explored the rest of myself or other parts of myself, my relationship with work has loosened and I've been able to separate myself from it more. And that's actually been very, very healthy. I still think about work a lot because I love it and I started it and I created it. Yeah, and I will always be someone that over-indexes yeah. and the kind of work has been part of my identity side. I just will. I kind of want to be. You know, I'm wearing the brand across my chest right now but i've i've started to kind of i feel like i've become more rounded and that has loosened the attachment to the drink yeah <laughs> essentially yeah, yeah totally. i don't feel like i need to pick it up as much yeah and that's been the biggest thing that i've done to kind of manage my balance really interesting um, i know that's a much 
probably not the answer that people want to hear, to be honest, because what people want to hear is, oh, you know, I meditate for five minutes every morning and um, I make sure I drink a green smoothie and I go to yoga and I don't work past five. They're, they're just plasters, mm. right? I've had to lift some weights and that's been weekly therapy for me and other people do it in different ways, but I've had to really reconcile some parts of who I am and my identity. Yeah. And that's the that's hard work. Totally. And I think, so I, I realized at the back end of last year, we'd had a business that changed a bit, but we were in a really good place. But I didn't realize that I was stressed. I just didn't, I didn't it was only again when you start to talk about it and, 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 and friends and family say it. And I made a conscious decision that this year was going to be a year that I was going to be more present, go home earlier, take work from home more, you know, create stories and, and, and memories with, with my family. And, and actually, I'm enjoying work so much more off the back of it. I feel much more well, sort of much more rounded individual. And just kind of, I don't think I'll ever find that perfect balance. I, I think I'm the sort of person that will always feel I'm slightly letting someone down, whether it's mates or, you know, not getting back on the rugby pitch or, or, or what have you. But I think getting a bit of perspective and, and trying to trying your best to find that balance, but just to be present and, and to enjoy the, and, you know, and, you know, have a I think I'm probably still searching for this, but a hobby, yeah. like something else. Walking, clearly well, a new I, passion. I mean, God, I'm, I'm, it, I'm there. <laughs> get, me out, get me out into the countryside. Honestly, love it. I think it's brilliant. Um, but yes, yeah, something else. And for me, it's the kind of the, the dinner party question. I don't go to many dinner parties, but if I did, um, it's like, who are you, right? Like, could I say, hey, I'm James. I love going on walks and I love reading fiction. Or would I have to say, hey, I'm James, I'm the founder of Science. Yeah, totally. And obviously, in some cases, that is how I will introduce myself because I'm passionate about it. I love it. I usually get a table of people talking about mental health most times I go out. But but yeah, I think that's the question for me. It's kind of like, it's this deep existential yeah. question, who am I? But I think if I can answer that in more ways than one, then that's usually a pretty good thing for me. Well, James, we are getting towards the end of our chat, sadly. And I know we could, we could keep going for, could, for a yeah. while. So maybe we've got a round two in here. <laughs> I wanted to quickly talk about building a team. Uh, given what we do, this is an important thing for okay. us. And then a couple of wrap-up questions. You've obviously built lots of businesses. You know, you built teams in, in a VC setting, your first business yeah. down at Sanctus. What do you believe makes a great team? And sort of what can, whether it's a startup entrepreneur or people running teams in bigger businesses, sort of what principles can they use, do you think, to develop better, well-rounded teams? I would only really use an ex examples from, from Sanctus, really. Um, in my first business, we actually had a fantastic team. We were very close. There was lots of camaraderie and we worked kind of really hard together. And we did actually, we created some really good stuff. Yet it was kind of futile in the end, to be honest, because it wasn't right. I don't know what we had in that business that made the team work so well. I think there was just something about the camaraderie and the kind of brotherhood that we managed to create. In Sanctus, I would say we have the early signs of what I hope will turn out to be a highly functioning team. I think the main thing we have right now, and we're not a perfect team at the moment. Um, I don't think you ever are, but we, we, we definitely aren't. I think what we have right now is, is trust. I think that is the single biggest thing that we've managed to create thus far. I've got Liam sitting to my right, so he can nod. <laughs> but no, I, I think think we have trust. And we've created trust through vulnerability initially, through people in the team being willing to be vulnerable with one another. I don't, you know, I don't just mean sharing your life story or something that happened to you as a child. That that Maybe that's the case in some instances, but even... I think vulnerability could be me as a leader saying, I don't know what I'm doing today. <laughs> I don't know what the best course of action is for us right now, but here's my idea. And I think we've managed to create trust. And I think that's extremely powerful because it means that you want to work for each other and you're willing to believe in each other and you're willing to follow, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah. So I think we've I think we've created trust. And I think for me, that is the the bedrock of a of a functioning team. I'm, I'm taking that from a book, which I think is the Bible in this, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by, uh, I think it's Lencioni or Lencioni. So I think we've yeah, got trust. Um, I, I'm not going to claim to know because, you know, we're only three years in. We've got a full-time team of 13. We've got 32 coaches. So we do have a, have a big team. I'd say right now where our team is, if I'm totally honest, I think we've got trust and I think we've probably got passion. Love it. As in, we've got a lot of people 
that want to go on this journey with us that really resonate to the purpose because it's their purpose as well. I think there are things that we've not got. I don't think we're great at accountability yet. I think we're getting there with conflict and, and difference, which is the next stage. So hopefully if you ask me in a year or two, yeah. that, well, we've got trust, but we also can really argue with each other and we keep ourselves yeah. accountable. Yeah. That's gold. Yeah, that's the perfect. <laughs> no, but you clearly have an inclusive culture. And I've read that one thing you, you really try hard to do is, is encourage people to bring their whole selves to work. And I think that's, that's powerful and so important. And the best clients that we've worked with have exactly that. Yeah. And also, I guess, a space where they can talk openly about their mental health, which is clearly, you know, very important given your mission. You can definitely do that at Sanctus. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you can. But it is, it's a sensitive subject. It's probably quite challenging for certain companies that haven't ever really embraced this before. So for those that want to make this a bigger part of their organization, are there a few things that they can do to start kind of demystifying mental health? Yeah, I, th I think a good thing to do is, is almost look at an organization like a person, right? So if a person wanted to start their journey on their mental health, you asked me that question earlier and we kind of both agreed, you know, oh, start talking to someone, start kind of start conversation in, in some way. And I believe that's what organizations can do. Start where you're at, you know, there, that, and, and I think a lot of businesses can actually often, a lot of people in leadership positions put themselves under a lot of pressure to suddenly be this like, perfectly mentally healthy organization and, and a lot of organizations might have some problems like there might be some stuff going on so i think again this honesty this acceptance this willing to show some level of vulnerability especially from leadership here that's who i'm really talking to i think that's how you start the conversation around mental health the, the best way i've seen companies start conversations around mental health is is from leadership it has to come from the top that is prerequisite right if you want to actually create like a co you know a coherent strategy and actually do something about it it's got to come from the top because there needs to be psychological buy-in so if it comes from the top if a leader at the top says this is why mental health is important to me so it's personal there's an element of storytelling in there and this is why i believe it's important for the organization you're going to give everyone underneath permission to show a similar level of vulnerability because that person in a leadership role is a, is a role model. Having said that, I think people kind of from the ground up can, can instigate change as well by asking the question and opening up themselves. There's a lot of companies where the change starts in the organization because employees in one-on-one -on -one with managers say, I'm struggling. How is your, how is your manager going to know you're struggling if you don't tell them? How is the business going to know to create some strategy around mental health if their employees aren't telling them how they're feeling? So I think the more we can like create this dialogue around mental health and kind of normalize it, the more chance a business has got to put something in place. Um, so it's, it's really got to come from leaders, though, in terms of actually creating the change because someone in leadership holds the power, the influence and the budget. Yeah, totally. I think we've it's recently been Mental Health Awareness Week. and It's been fantastic to see lots of companies talking about it you know it's, it, it seems to be much more on the agenda which is wonderful but I couldn't agree more I think it's got to start at the top and um, yeah I hope if we I'm sure we will talk again in a year's time but um, I hope that will have progressed even more and it will be less of a you know a, a taboo or something not to be discussed but just be very much part of our everyday life yeah last few questions James I know for a fact a lot of our listeners will really enjoy this conversation and, and be inspired by your story who inspires you and why that's a tough one. I'm going to, I really struggle with that question. I'm, I must admit, I don't, in the business world, there's not, I don't feel like we have that many role models who I really look up to because I just still think we've got this kind of like archaic and antiquated modality of leadership, which is just kind of hustle hard and persevere. You know, like Gary Vee, for example, I love yeah. his content, but he still, does he show that much vulnerability? Like, do we see the real him? I'm not sure. And that's not a judgment. That's just, that's just the truth. So I don't know who I've got to kind of look up to. I'll be honest, the, the people I'm more inspired by, which is a bit off the cut, off the wall, is probably like artists and actors and musicians. So I think in terms of showing up in a real way, I'm yeah. like, who does Laying that themselves more back than them? Yeah, yeah. True. yeah very and true. they bear all on stage. Um, and fair enough, I mean, a lot of them do. The big successful 
guys or women or whatever have huge teams and are leaders in a way. So I'm probably more inspired by like that. people like that, really. Yeah. Like I'm obsessed with Hugh Jackman. Oh, he's a great I'm guy. I'm obsessed with him. The greatest showman. Like I'm literally obsessed with that He's a film. triple threat. That um, guy can do everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, amazing. it's honestly amazing. Um, in terms of like a business story, like I'm more inspired by The Greatest Showman and like <laughs> Hollywood's first yeah. original movie musical for 22 years. I'll have you know. Um, I'm a big fan <laughs> of that. That's uh, that's a, that more, been on repeat in the Mitchell household. Than, more than I am that with like I don't know Uber's IPO. Um, I mean Uber have changed the world dramatically, but I just don't look up to the way like like Travis is an incredible creator, but. Do I want to be Travis? He looks very stressed to yeah, me. Yeah. And Elon Musk doesn't look happy either. No, true. So I don't look up to these guys. I just don't. I look up to them as like forces of nature who've who are changing the world. But in terms of a role model of how I want to live my life in business, not really. I'd, I'd rather be Hugh Jackman. No, I appreciate your honesty <laughs> on that. And I, I, if Hugh Jackman's listening and wants to be a mentor, yeah. he's an amazing guy. I guess another way of looking at this is mentorship. Obviously, you are our 40-minute mentor today. We talked off air about the importance of mentorship. Do you have a mentor? And if so, kind of why did you choose them? I don't have someone who's like a specific, you know, hi, you're my mentor. And, and I'll be honest, might be a bit contentious on, on this podcast, but I will, I'll save it at the end. I used to have a lot of mentors in my first business, and it, it sent me the wrong way because I used to just agree with everything they said. So I just did what they wanted, right? So I went round in circles. What I needed at that point was a coach and someone to help me know where I wanted to go. And then I could find a mentor to tell me how to do it because they've done it before, right? So actually I, I've been a bit kind of a hermit and I've been a bit kind of, a bit, I've been a bit like a sort of 13 year old kid who's like, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm probably at the point where I need one, to be honest. Um, we've got a couple of angel investors who I really look up to. And actually, they, I would say they're, they're, they're quite a role model. Actually, there's um, in particular an investor of ours called Jason Stockwood, who is not anymore, but he was the CEO of Simply Business. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just really look up to him. Every time I chat to him, I feel like I've just taken something away. It's, it's a tough line, but I mean, I'm sure you can. I don't know how much he mentors me and how much he coaches me, to be honest. Yeah, but I definitely have a, I definitely have a few kind of elders yeah. around me that I'll just kind of reach out to every now and again i think mentorship comes in different forms doesn't yeah, it? yeah yeah exactly because i've got some people i would class as like life mentors do you know yeah like a couple of older mates for example who i might talk about my relationship with right a mentor doesn't have to be linked to business anyway I no, mean, you can have men- having a mentor in uh, you know it's all about holistic mentorship yeah. i think there's a there's value in having mentors in different elements yeah. of your life and, and actually sorry i'm coming on to it now but i did and i did i don't i've not seen him for a while actually but a friend of mine He's the founder of a business called Makers Academy, who kind of like a uh, startup coding school, basically teach people how to code. Um, and he's, you know, similar kind of culture that I, I look up to for Sanctus. And I used to meet him. I've done it for a while, but I used to meet him every couple of months for lunch. And he's literally like, he would always laugh because he's like, I'm just, you're just where I was two years ago. So um, that can be really, it just made me feel like I wasn't crazy. You know, all the challenges yeah, I was having, yeah. I was like, okay, someone's done this before. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, James, last question. If we're to meet in 12 months, I very much hope we will. Um, what do you hope to have achieved at Sanctus and for yourself? Oh, that's a good one as well. Bloody hell, this is a coaching session now. <laughs> Treat this as therapy. This yeah. Is your <laughs> yeah, yeah I need to like, take my shoes off or something. And for myself, um, what would I like to do for myself? God, this is, this is really tough. I think for, and I'll go for Sanctus first. That's actually probably easier. I think with Sanctus, I would like us to continue to grow our team um i'm excited for us to get our own office so i'd like us to have our own home that gives us this right balance of a space to be really creative but also a space to get work done um, which is a difficult mix sometimes so i'd like us to continue to grow our team i would love us to have explored and maybe be on the edge of looking at what our consumer offering might be right now we don't offer anything to the consumer actually you can only access sanctus if you're in the workplace so i'd love us to be exploring that I would like us to make our current product more accessible. Again, right now, you can only access Sanctus Coaching in the workplace face-to-face. How do you access a Sanctus Coach if you uh, you work in the behind the till at KFC, for example? So I'd like us to really explore that. I would love us to not be working with just white-collar businesses. I would love us to be working in the public sector or, yeah, with you kind of 
I don't know how best best way to say this blue collar is the traditional word, but you know, businesses that might typically not have this kind of access to this kind of product. Um, so that would be really cool. And then for me, I would just like to be, I, I think I'd like to be comfortable in how I lead that. I think that's something right now I'm still figuring out is what, what kind of leader am I really? Cause I don't feel like a traditional one. Um, which isn't a bad thing. no you know how do I be a Hugh Jackman in business sort of thing yeah so I think for me it's kind of how me kind of figuring out how I how I lead in that way in a way that feels comfortable and authentic to me thank you James it's been such a pleasure talking to you and thank you for being our 40 minute mentor um, we wish you the very best of luck over the next 12 months uh, I'm sure there is lots of exciting things to come cheers cheers I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the 40 minute mentor brought to you by JBM So if you'd like to tell us what you thought of the podcast or find out how we can help you with your next career move, please do get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you.